0: The show you love with even more local, local news, news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the Valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIB. Here's your host Mike Douglas.
1: And welcome to the Mike Douglas show this Monday afternoon here in California's Central Valley on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here your concierge for conversation as we get things started on a brand new week. Uh, a sobering note here at the top of the uh, the news and the headlines today. Uh, authorities in Northern California believe uh, the body that's been found inside of a car uh, in a lake and near Truckee appears uh, possibly to belong to 16-year-old Kylie Rodney. Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon says it's believed to be her. Uh, no confirmation yet. The body and car were found by a specialty search and recovery team called Adventures with Purpose. Apparently the car was found upside down in 14 feet of under of water in the reservoir. Again, that's southwest of uh, Reno, Nevada. And this morning at uh, 11 o'clock, uh, Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon made this announcement regarding the vehicle and the body found in the vehicle.
2: We've recovered the vehicle. We recovered the vehicle last night. Uh, we have located a decedent inside the vehicle. Uh, we believe it is our missing person. Uh, we have not been able to positively identify, uh, but it's more than likely where we are today. And we wanted to make sure that that the family had all that information <coughs> first.
1: Sheriff Moon added that this is still an active investigation. The autopsy, uh, she reported, will be held tomorrow on Tuesday. And as you may know, there will always be a toxicology report in these cases, and those typically take four to six weeks. So uh, a sobering note there, so sorry to hear that, but I suppose in in some ways it does provide some closure uh, for the family uh, once uh, her identity is confirmed. And along the same lines, just another uh, heart-tugger, a student was pulled late Friday night from Turlock High School's swimming pool was part of a group that apparently entered the locked swimming pool complex around 11.30 p.m. Uh, they, uh, the group of kids apparently noticed that uh, one of them was, was missing. And uh, there was a fence, a locked gate, no trespassing sign. And uh, there apparently was an um, athletic trainer on site who was summoned. Uh, police and fire came, and uh, they began CPR. Uh, but uh, the student uh, at the time I received this was listed in critical condition. Just, a a, again, a a sad thing and and just a a reminder how tentative and fragile life is and how we need to be about focusing on the main things. And uh, that's so important. And it's also important that we stand for what we know to be true and... um, that we uh, take care of and we express our love to the people in our lives on a, on a regular basis. Uh, so our condolences and prayers with the families of, uh, of both of those uh, children. Did you hear about this Utah judge? Our world is so much upside down today. A Utah judge, apparently, this was last week, I believe, temporarily, here's the headline, a Utah judge temporarily blocked the state's law that bars transgender girls from competing in school sports matching their gender identity. was a lot of words. You want me to translate that for you? Here's what I think that says. Boys pretending to be girls, even though they are biological boys, can continue to compete against girls in girls' sports events. Judge Keith Kelly in Utah granted the hold on the law after finding it was, in his opinion, harming the girls by preventing them from competing and thereby creating a stigma against them. So here's my read. Judge Keith Kelly granted a hold on the law after finding that it was harming boys pretending to be girls by preventing them from competing and then creating a stigma against boys pretending to be girls and taking biological advantage over real girls in sports events. That That's my analysis. So he says the band singles out transgender girls. You can translate that to mean boys pretending to be girls and categorically bars them from competing on girls' sports teams. At the same time, other girls are free to compete. This is plainly unfavorable treatment. Thus, plaintiffs identify and live as girls, interact with others as girls, and are taking medication to prevent them from going through male puberty, but the ban does not treat them as girls, the judge added. Well, that might be because they're actually boys. The judge also said the plaintiffs have also shown that the ban likely violates an equal protection clause within the Utah Constitution. You see, here it is. Even judges are dead set against truth. You and I know that a transgender person is someone who has decided to live as if they were a member of the opposite sex. But we have seen that there are biological issues involved that make boys, whether they're pretending to be girls or not, stronger than other than than girls, biological girls in sports. And yet you and I, when we question that, we are labeled to be transphobics or whatever we're labeled to be no we're simply uh, announcing what's true and you see there's this constant constant hammering at us to to believe what's not true and uh, and then to try to make us feel guilty and shamed for believing in truth and not believing in what's not true and the government today both on the state and federal level seems to be doing a fine job in um, saddling up next to the woke culture and doing everything they can to turn our world upside down, and they want us to like it. I caught an interview last night with Tammy Bruce. Many of you may be familiar with Tammy Bruce. She's a, uh, a commentator and has... <laughs> has politically has been on on both poles I guess you could say both on the left and and on the right as well and I may not agree with uh, Tammy all the time but I do agree with her comments and what it brings up to my mind is do, do you feel the government today really cares about you as an individual or that the woke culture cares about you as an individual Tammy Bruce suggests it doesn't. This is Tammy last night on Steve Hilton's show. Everyone is, yeah. a,
2: is a, a tag on a piece of paper. We are, we're little pieces of, we're like hashtags. We don't, we don't exist as human beings. That's what allows nationalized health care to happen. That's what allows you to uh, criminalize parents who go to a school board because it's all about what's on the paper. It's all about protecting yourself. No one else exists. And that, of course, if this, if this continues, we've seen historically what, the, what happens to nations when leadership believes that, the, that human beings do not matter and that no one else matters but them. Uh, and you know, the good news is the founders anticipated this, and that's why the Constitution exists. Exactly. And now we've inherited the responsibility, they've given us the, the template of what to do, and now we get to do it, and it should be an honor and we should be happy about it, and we should be confident, and that's what's going to get us through this.
1: I think That's well articulated. I happen to agree with her perspectives there. There is no obligation on my part nor your part, if we hear things that are true, to be pummeled, um, to be shamed, to be manipulated into confessing to be true what we know to be untrue. We need to stand up, and we don't—and and I am not a proponent, by the way. We were getting off to a great start here on Monday, aren't we? But I'm, I'm really uh, fired up about this. We, we need not to announce what we know to be false. We need to stand for what we know to be true. Now, we may have disagreements about what is true, and that's perfectly fine. My expectation is that if you disagree with me and you're firmly intentioned, good for you. And and we you can explain to me why you feel you're correct and I can explain why I feel I'm correct. And we can agree to disagree and not cancel each other. That's 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 the the human way. That's that's actually that's the divine way of, of dealing with this is to be able to allow each other dignity and respect during the process of disagreeing. But do you feel the government today respects you when you disagree? Hmm? Do you feel that the government and the woke culture ever respects you when you dare to disagree? Well Again, here's Tammy Bruce with her view on the culture war today and And here are some thoughts uh, from her on how to respond to what we know is not true.
2: They're not even thinking about what it means to the people who are frightened or the people who are disappeared or erased or who lose their jobs or what happens when they, because you know, we're in this painful transition and we just need breathing room We're we're like little bugs on the surface of a ball and they don't, they genuinely don't care. And that's what's stunning. And so this is not about struggles that they're going through or that they mean well. Having come from the left, the left does not mean well. They are on a rampage and they mean to uh, destroy everything that, in fact, might just be irritating to them. But it must happen because there can be nothing else that matters. And that's the state we're in right now. Don't let any of your viewers think or fall for this argument that they're the bad guys, that speaking yeah. up is wrong, that challenging the ethics of the FBI or the DOJ or the IRSs makes you an extremist. It does not. All of those things yes. are lies.
1: Now, she made some pretty broad brush statements there. I don't know that everyone on the left uh, I would designate that way, but I, I understand what she was uh, attempting to portray there. But I think the, the main point is that we we need to stand for what we know to be true. and And we must not cower, and we must not be intimidated by, and we must not accede to the demands of a culture that is trying to force us to believe things that we know not to be true. We know that a biological boy who is pretending to be a girl and that's that's his choice. I'm not going to advocate for a law saying you can't do that, but what I am going to say is that biological boy pretending to be a girl should not have any 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 hand up or leg up over biological girls especially when it comes to sports events. That is not logical. It is not logical. In fact, we here so much today about these, these words, uh, equity and uh, egalitarian. And, uh, well, w- what's equitable about a biological boy with better body mass, with bigger bones generally, pretending to be a girl competing against girls and beating them at sports events? What, what's fair about that? I know, Mike, you always say life's not fair, and I I stand by that. But the point is, in terms of our jurisprudence, in terms of even constitutional law, lies ought not to be the basis of law. And we have a system that, thank goodness, allows us to correct some of those untruths as we go along. And so my encouragement to you is, do not be discouraged, and we can overcome the lies that are out there by standing firm on what we know to be true. And to offer those who may have different opinions, offer them respect, offer them a hearing, and explain, this is why I don't believe that is true. It's not saying they're lying, it's saying, this is why I don't believe that particular narrative. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about this and then there are two law professors apparently who teach at Harvard and Yale who have written an op-ed piece in the New York Times that basically say and these are con- these these are these are professors of law at Harvard and Yale saying that we ought to get rid of the constitution and uh, we ought to have A whole bunch of more states in the United States of America. Where do you hear this? That's coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
0: Take the Mike Douglas show with you every weekday from three till five. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show this Monday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about government and the woke culture, and do you really feel that either one of them care about you as an individual? 209-551-3483, our number, as you listened to uh, Tammy Bruce a couple of minutes ago, do, do you feel that, especially the federal government right now, and the woke culture in general, do you feel that either one cares about you as an individual? Well, here's uh, here's another another issue we can put in that pot we're mixing around at the moment. This is uh, this is a tweet from the Los Angeles County Public Health Department, and as you know, there've been a lot of been a lot of angst about LA County Public Health over the past eighteen months to two years, and now they have a Twitter account. Does the County of Los Angeles Public Health Department? They put this notice out yesterday. This account is now for informational purposes only, and for that reason, public comments are limited to live town hall type events it conducts, wherein it solicits questions from the public during the live event. Once such events are concluded, the department will then close the live event post to public comments, Other posts will remain closed to public comments. Residents who have questions or are looking for guidance can send a direct message and public health will respond as soon as possible. Now, to me, do you feel that's government caring about its people? Now, to me, if you are an individual and you have a Twitter account, and you put out an opinion piece, part of the deal is you, you're going to get feedback from other people. Some of it's going to be affirming, some of it's not going to be affirming. And whether or not and how you choose to respond to that is up to you. But I think when it comes to a public department, when it comes to local government, Seems to me if local government is going to put information out there that local government ought to be willing to allow the public to comment on that. What do you think? Or do you think L.A. County's right? We're only, we're only going to give you information. We're going to make it as difficult as we can for you to give us feedback. That's my read on it. Maybe I'm missing the point that I'd like to get your read on this. What do you think? L.A. County Public Health. Good good thought here on Twitter. We don't want to hear your comments about what we put out there, and if you do have comments, you can send a direct message, and we'll respond as soon as possible. How many of you direct message on Twitter? I don't know that I've ever direct messaged on Twitter, and I think I could be wrong because I'm not a Twitterer. Do you? <laughs> Do you have? Don't you have to have a special relationship with the person with whom you're tweeting to deliver a direct message? I don't know. I, I'm just asking. I, I don't. I don't know. But anyway, I, I'm just thinking that uh, in a day when trust with government is eroding, in a day when we're looking for government to at least act like it cares for us. This maybe was not a good way to uh, to do this, and of course, it's written in uh, in very uh, bureaucratic language. It's, uh, but that's you know that that's that that's normal. So there we go. If you're in LA County and the LA County Public Health Department sends uh, tweets out, uh, you are not invited to respond. In fact, you can't. Uh, respond unless you jump through a a bunch of hoops. Speaking of county health departments, Dr. Julie Washampayan, who is the public health officer for Stanislaus County for the past about five years, is retiring as the county's chief advisor on public health issues. That'll take effect in November. Uh, And I didn't know this. She worked as the assistant health officer for San Joaquin County before taking over uh, the top position in Stanis- Stanislaus County Health in May of 2017. And, of course, she uh, had a, had a hand, hands full with the whole COVID-19 thing. And uh, so, anyway, there's just an interesting note there. And, of course, uh, the other retirement, as you probably know, Dr. Anthony Fauci announced today that he's going to step down from his post as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and as the President's Chief Medical Advisor. Gonna start and pursue his next chapter. I'll read his statement and we'll take your comments about Dr. Fauci retiring. All that coming up in five minutes. Here on The Mike Douglas Show, as we continue on a Monday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV, I'll be back with you after news, weather, and traffic on The Mike Douglas Show.
0: Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we get underway this new week on Monday. And this just in, Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed SB 57. That uh, was the bill that would have authorized safe injection sites at certain places in California, those places uh, being San Francisco, Los Angeles, L.A. County, and Oakland. And you always wonder what what comes to mind is uh, what was the motivation what was the reasoning for the veto uh, at this point I think we we could uh, make many guesses at that doesn't really matter I think the uh, the main thing is the bill is dead at least for right now again Governor Newsom uh, vetoing that bill just a couple of details on that it would have allowed again uh, LA, uh, Uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, and L.A. County to open facilities where people could use illegal drugs in a supervised environment. And so those uh, had this bill passed, had the governor signed it, it has passed the legislature, but had he he signed it, participants could receive supplies like clean needles and be connected with treatment services and trained staff, Staff would watch for signs of overdose and be able to intervene, and then they'd of course do studies and statistics uh, about it and all that. Um, there was a gentleman by that, or is a gentleman by the name of Tom Wolf. He's the co-founder of the California Peace Coalition, and many years ago, apparently, he was addicted to opioids, lived on the street there in San Francisco in the Tenderloin District. And he has said uh, conditions have deteriorated further since then. With drug deals taking place in the open, he said in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Oakland, the situation is out of control. What's to stop an open drug scene from populating around the safe consumption site? So uh, good for uh, Governor Newsom, whatever his motivations were, were... I, I am anyway happy. Uh, happy to see that SB 57, as uh, some fondly refer to as the drug den bill, is uh, is now dead. Governor Newsom apparently today has uh, has vetoed that particular bill. We're talking about the Constitution and two um, two lawyers, two professors teach law at Harvard and Yale, have basically written an op-ed in the New York Times, and this was uh, on August 19. Here's the opening line. When liberals lose in the Supreme Court, as they increasingly have over the past half century, they usually say that the justices got the Constitution wrong. But struggling over the Constitution has proved a dead end. Here we go. The real need is not to reclaim the Constitution, as many would have it, but instead to reclaim America from constitutionalism. Hmm. So can you imagine if your son or daughter, if you were helping pay for them to go to Harvard or Yale Law Schools and They were being taught at Harvard or Yale that we need to get rid of the Constitution. Hmm? Constitutions, they say, especially the broken one we have now, inevitably orient us to the past and misdirect the present into a dispute over what people agreed on once upon a time not on what the present and future demand for and from those who live now. This aids the right, which insists on sticking with what it claims to be the original meaning of the past. So here we go. Here's uh, We were just talking about this earlier this hour, talking about Tammy Bruce and, and uh, Tammy encouraging people not to succumb to the attacks, not to fall over and just meekly say, okay, yeah, we're shameful and we're guilty and we apologize for believing what we believe. No, we need to stand up. So here, here they're saying uh, the constitutions uh, are things of the past and they misdirect the present into a dispute over what people agreed upon once upon a time, not on what the present and future demand for and from those who live now. Well, let's take that logic, let's take that line of thinking a little further here. Let's say that that's that's a valid rule of thumb, that rules or laws of the past automatically need to be jettisoned because the future demands things for change from those who live now. Do you think that's universally true? I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about 10 dictates, so to speak, that were written on some stone tablets thousands and thousands of years ago, more commonly known as the 10 commandments. Seems like, even though they've been around for a long, long time, that they still have value. Are there not in, in the course of human history certain principles and laws that remain, certain rules and, and laws that stay applicable no matter what generation it is? I think so. And again, it, it, it amazes me that these are teachers of the law at Harvard and Yale. Here's another excerpt here. After failing to get the Constitution interpreted in an egalitarian way for so long, there we go, the way to seek real freedom, real freedom, will be to use procedures consistent with popular rule. Uh Uh-huh. Read communism into that. It will not be easy... But a new way of fighting within American democracy must start with a more open politics of altering our fundamental law, perhaps in the first place by making the Constitution more amendable than it is now. Well, they intentionally made the Constitution difficult to amend. There's purpose in that, so that the Constitution would not get amended for this flitting reason or that flitting reason or this uh, particular uh, hip thing at the time. No, the the founders wisely made the Constitution somewhat difficult to amend. They say one way to get this more democratic world is to pack the union with new states. Okay, so here we see their agenda. Two uh, teachers of the law at Harvard and Yale. One, get rid of the U.S. Constitution. It's no good. And number two, pack the union with new states. They say doing so would allow Americans to then use the formal amendment process to alter the basic rules of the politics and break the false deadlock that the Constitution imposes through the Electoral College and Senate on the country, in which substantial majorities are foiled on issue after issue. Do, Do you realize that mob rule is dysfunctional? That's what they're talking about. They use a different moniker, majority rule. What they're talking about is mob rule. We want the mob to be able to rule. So let's get rid of the Constitution. Let's have many, many more states in the Union. In doing so, they say, Congress would be pretty openly defying the Constitution to get a more democratic order, and for that reason, would need to insulate the law from judicial review. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it? Even when you go back to the ancient nation of Israel that we learn about in the Old Testament, there were judges. In fact, Moses was doing judging, and he was advised, listen, Moses, my boy, you're wearing yourself out. You need to appoint people to to be over, like, sets of 50 people and such. You need to have other people involved here. So the, there were many judges in the Old Testament because the law can be interpreted in many different ways. And so then in human history, we have had judges who hopefully are familiar with the law and are wise people who can make judgments about the law to say we are either interpreting the law correctly or not or incorrectly well isn't the law black and white no the law is not black and white oftentimes there are shades of gray you can't anticipate every single nuance with the law. That's why we have courts. That's why we have judges. That's why we have a third branch of three branches of government, right? The executive, the legislature, and the judicial, the judiciary. Here we go. Fun, I'm almost done with this because I'm not sure I can take too much more. <laughs> Fundamental values, they say, like racial equality or environmental justice huh, I thought they didn't want just, they didn't want just, they didn't want judicial things. They didn't want the law to be judged. Justice. They don't want that. They, they just want the law, but they don't want, well, anyway. Fundamental values like racial equality or environmental justice would be protected not by law that stands apart from politics, but as they typically are, by ordinary expressions of popular will. Popular will is a codename for mob rule. And the basic structure of government, like whether to elect the president by majority vote or to limit judges to fixed terms, would be decided by the present electorate, translated mob rule, as opposed to one from some foggy past. Here's their concluding paragraph. Uh, The politics of the American future like this would make clear our ability to engage in the constant reinvention of our society under our own power without the illusion that the past stands in the way. Well, who is our when they say the constant reinvention of our society under our own power? Well, who is they that comprise our well, it's, it's the elite. It's the professors at Harvard and Yale. It's uh, the elite, you see, who have much more intellectual prowess than common people like you and me. They will decide. Our means their power. And we're not going to have anything in the past that stands in the way. Huh. So that means if they decide that boys can compete against girls in girls' sports, if the boys are pretending to be girls, if that fits the moment, if that fits the mob's opinion, then that is so. If they decide that no, oh, those uh, people who attend churches, they are are radicals and they are treasonous. And they need to not only get rid of those churches, but we need to start executing the leaders of those churches because they are insurrectionists. We can do that because it's our own power without the illusion Of the past that stands in the way. Do you see where this is going? Does this bother you at all? Does this concern you at all that these two guys teach law at Harvard and Yale? We'll continue the conversation in three minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
0: Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas, on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here this Monday afternoon on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. <laughs> Talking about these uh, two professors of law, apparently at Yale and Harvard, that would like to do away with the Constitution because it gets in their way. And they would like to pack the United States with um, many, many more states and uh, basically have mob rule. That's, uh, that's my translation of it. And so it's so important for us to stand firm and to say from these um, elitist to these elitist professors, no, we're sorry, we don't buy your arguments. And we're not going to do that. And if Harvard and Yale had any collective spines, they should get rid of these guys. I mean, this is, to me, that what they're advocating is, is treasonous, in a way. So how do we stand up? Does it do any good? Well, yeah. Yeah, it does. Here's an example. There's a school board, I don't know if you heard about this, in Fargo, North Dakota. And let's see, uh, on August 9, the Fargo School Board voted 7-2 to stop reciting the Pledge of Allegiance before every meeting. So the North Dakota newspaper Inforum reported that the school board member said no, no, no to the Pledge of Allegiance because it didn't align with the district's diversity, equity, and inclusion values. Some of the school board members contended that the words under God were excluding many people. And as you may recall, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance originally was written in 1892, and it was President uh, Dwight Eisenhower who added under God on June 14, 1954. So Fargo School Board member Seth Holden said, given that the word God in the text of the Pledge of, of Allegiance is capitalized, the text is clearly referring to the Judeo-Christian God, and therefore it does not include any other faith such as Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of which are practiced by our staff and students. And he said that reciting the pledge is a non-inclusionary act. He also said it's an indisputable fact that not all U.S. citizens have liberty and justice. Therefore, one nation with liberty and justice for all is untrue as well. Well, the president, Dr. Tracy Newman, said, I'm just not sure that reciting the Pledge of Allegiance is a useful way to begin every one of our board meetings. I would much prefer that we open our meetings with a shared statement of purpose that would bring us all together to do the work of the board. Two other board members suggested that each meeting start with a reading of one of the school district's values. So it's not saying that the schools, in the schools they can't recite the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, but the uh, school board is not going to do that. Well, what happened? Well, the public got ticked off. In fact, they reversed course last Thursday (laughs) because there were so many complaints from, and they say conservative lawmakers, and an angry backlash from citizens around the country. Angry emails and voicemails dominated Thursday's special meeting to reconsider the vote, and a refugee who fled war-torn Sudan apparently, uh, placed or played a profanity-laced voicemail from a man who called her a slave, racist, and Nazi Uh, she was apologized to. So she said reversing the decision would be giving in to hate. She paused for several seconds before casting the lone vote no to reinstate the pledge. We won't be rewarding our children or students in our district for acting in this way, but know that this moment will pass. Let's get back to the work that we're elected to do, and that is to find a solution for teacher shortages, mental health issues, and academic achievements for our students. Uh, A couple of quick comments about this. Number one, I, I never advocate being hateful or using threats. So whoever did that, I don't care what side they were on, that's immature, improper, not the way to do business. So uh, let's see, uh, Mr. Board Member Greg Clark said, I'm concerned about what might happen to this board in the future because we're going to have to probably be prepared to take more heat than that we normally would for decisions we make because that uh, there may a, be a perception of success, huh? Let's discuss this more. I'll be back in five minutes after news, weather, and traffic here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Our number two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Back in five minutes.
0: The show you love. Talking about the issues that are important to you. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now, every weekday from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here again is your host, Mike Douglas.
1: And welcome to our number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas with you. you Concierge for Conversation, and much to uh, to talk about today. We were talking a little bit ago about the fact that Governor Newsom has vetoed SB 57, and I was wondering what the motivations might be. I'm grateful that he did uh, veto it. But we just uh, got this copy of his letter to the California State Senate. Let me read this because it gives us some insight into why the governor uh, vetoed uh, what I call the uh, drug den bill. He says, I'm returning uh, Senate bill 57 without my signature. This bill authorizes certain jurisdictions to approve any number of overdose prevention programs often referred to as safe injection or consumption sites where individuals may use illegal controlled substances at supervised facilities. Newsom continues, I have long supported the cutting edge of harm reduction strategies. However, I am acutely concerned about the operations of safe injection sites without strong, engaged local leadership and well-documented, vetted and thoughtful operational and sustainability plans. The unlimited number of safe injection sites that this bill would authorize Facilities, which could exist well into the latter part of this decade, could induce a world of unintended consequences. It is possible that these sites would help improve the safety and health of our urban areas, but if done without a strong plan, they could work against this purpose. These unintended consequences in cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Oakland cannot be taken lightly. Worsening drug consumption challenges in these areas is not a risk we can take. We should strive to ensure our innovative efforts are well-planned, even when they start as pilots, to help mitigate the potential for unintended impacts. Therefore, I am instructing the Secretary of Health and Human Services to convene city and county officials to discuss minimum standards and best practices for safe and sustainable overdose prevention programs. I remain open to this discussion when those local officials come back to the legislature with recommendations for a truly limited pilot program with comprehensive plans for siting, in other words, uh, for locations, operations, community partnerships, and fiscal sustainability that demonstrate how these programs will be run safely and effectively. All right. I think he makes some good points there. Um, don't agree with Governor Gavin Newsom on a lot of things. I agree with this particular veto and I think there's some interest some good points that he made about this. Now, you may ask the question is he simply doing this because the midterms are approaching? Is he doing this because he wants to run for president in 2024? We don't know. And the problem with we don't know is it's almost pointless to talk about the we don't knows. What we have to deal with is are the facts and then our opinions about the facts. Uh, My opinion is this is a good thing. This is a good thing to um, to veto this particular bill. Again, SB 57 uh, has now been vetoed by Governor Gavin Newsom. Can we think through that bill together a little bit? I I, I am not I, I am still not convinced that the way to help people who are harming themselves is to help them harm themselves in a safe place. Does that make sense? Well, we'll have Narcan available or we'll we'll have paramedics available. No it's not a de- because the the bill as written was not dealing with the root issue the root issue is a terrible terrible physical and emotional addiction to recreational drugs which damage the brain and in many cases though a lot of those gray cells that are damaged don't come back and the, the problem is it just doesn't affect the individual. It affects, it affects their families. It affects the neighborhoods. It affects the businesses. It affects the economy. And it doesn't help the people. Helping someone to stay sick is not helping them. We, we call that codependency. We call that enabling. And so the plan, I am I'm, I'm I'm really at a loss for why the proponents feel this is a good answer, that this is this would somehow eliminate drug addictions. I I just don't get it. Let's find out what you think. Our number here, two zero nine five five one three four eight three, two zero nine five five one three four eight three. Let's go to Robin from Modesto. Robin, what are your thoughts?
0: Hi, Mike. How are you today? My Great. First time calling. Nice to talk to you. Listen to you every day. Um, I just wanted to give my opinion on uh, the newsome thing that you're speaking of. I just honestly feel that he probably vetoed it until November, and then he'll change his mind. That's just my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, you think there's uh there are political motivations for this?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Robin is as and I I've read the details of the bill and I'm I'm sure you're you're familiar with it ahead of time. Do you see any possible way that bill helps people who are addicted to dangerous drugs? Do you see any way that really helps them?
0: Absolutely not. I, I think it's the worst possible thing that you could do is enable people. We should be helping them to get off of the drugs, not enabling them to use them easier.
1: Yeah, Robin, it, the the whole the whole bill, the whole purpose behind it just continues to uh, to mystify me. I am great regardless of the motivation. I'm at least grateful it's dead for now. Uh, I would suspect, Robin, that the proponents are are going to bring it back. I would not be uh, surprised at that whatsoever. Uh, But at least for now, it's uh, it's dead, and, and that's a good thing. Robin, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. I Appreciate that uh, very much. Robin from Modesto, <laughs> saying eh, there may be some political motivations behind that, related to November 2022 and November 2024 as well. Uh, whatever the reason, again, I am uh, I am very happy that at least for now, it was uh, it was vetoed, and that's uh, that's a positive thing. I want to go back though. And, and bring up the, our discussion about these two uh, teachers of law at Harvard and Yale, uh, Ryan D. Dorfler, D-O-E-R-F-L-E-R, and Samuel Mohn, M-O-Y-N. Ryan Dorfler and Samuel Mohn, M-O-Y-N, both teachers of law at Harvard and Yale, according to the New York Times article, saying that the, we need to did, we need to do away with the U.S. Constitution because it's a relic from the past. Essentially, my translation, we need to have mob rule that they couch as majority rule, and, uh, and that we ought to pack the United States with even more states. Do you... Well, maybe some of you feel that's valid, and I'm, I'm willing to hear... Uh, but would, would you send your children to Harvard or Yale? Would you plunk down the, the extreme amount of funding necessary for your children or grandchildren or extended family to attend Harvard or Yale? I wouldn't. I wouldn't because this is flat out teaching that we need to do away with the U.S. Constitution. Now, as, as a matter of discussion in a debate, and, and you know they have moot court and and you learn to uh, debate issues in law school, you learn to uh, take sides you may not like, I see value in setting up that argument and saying, all right, this, this part of the class over here, you're going to be in favor of, of preserving the U.S. Constitution. This part of the class over here, you're going to be in favor of doing away with the U.S. Constitution. We want to hear your legal arguments for this. And here we go. So we're putting the Constitution on trial. As an exercise in argumentation, I can see that. But to teach from the point of view that the Constitution ought to be done, and you know they're doing that, They've articulated this very well in this New York Times op-ed piece. You know, I'm sure that they're teaching that. And, and what are they doing with the minds of our children, even though uh, they're adult children, at Yale and Harvard? I have some friends that attended Harvard very bright men, good friends, and they're well-grounded, ethical men. Very ethical. And they would never even dream of saying that the Constitution ought to be done away with, we'll have mob rule, and that whatever the law is should be at the whim of the mob. This is unconscionable. I can't imagine this, but... It's the way that the poison is seeping into even our uh, institutions of higher learning, so to speak. I don't know that we can use that phrase anymore. Higher learning, if this is what they're te- teaching, uh, in my opinion, that's uh, that's not higher learning. we will continue the discussion in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show, two zero nine five five one three four eight three, as we continue the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk thirteen sixty kfiv
0: follow us on facebook and instagram 1360 kfiv is your place online let's get social with power talk 1360 kfiv
1: and welcome back to the mike douglas show here on power talk 1360 kfiv we're talking uh about these two uh professors apparently at harvard and and yale who are uh, of the opinion that we ought to do away with the constitution because it's it's not it's not something of the present and uh, we need to uh, basically have a whole bunch more states in the United States of America and we ought not to have to be married to a judicial system that interprets the law we just make law i astounds me just astounds me but anyway, I was talking about: <clears throat> Would you send your children to Harvard or Yale with with these types of characters spouting this types of things? I don't know. By the way, well, just speaking of that, I just saw this uh, a day or two ago. This is parenting inflation. Parenting inflation. It will now cost you twenty six thousand dollars more than it did just two years ago to raise a child through high school. (laughs) Uh, They're saying for married middle-income parents with kids born in 2015, the Brookings Institution estimates it will cost you $310,605 to raise a child into high school. Well... You know, but as, as a parent, I never looked at the cost. You know, you, you sacrifice, you do what you need to do for your children, and I'm not, I was never worried about what the cost was. Just we did the best we could as parents. All right, uh, Governor Newsom vetoed SB 57 today. That was the bill that would have uh, provided safe injection sites, so-called safe injection sites, in L.A., Oakland, and San Francisco. Let's get your thoughts on that. Area code 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Let's see what Kathleen has to say from Oakdale. Hi, Kathleen.
3: Hello, I think that the uh, safe injection sites are just uh being established by human trafficking and for the purpose of human trafficking uh doing a assessment and of the uh black market value of human life and then they will um and they also can engage at those um uh injection sites they can engage with the with their uh human life that they are going to traffic, and then they can uh, also, um, uh, what is it called? So, uh, So this is, it's all about human trafficking, assessment, outreach, and engagement with the human life that they are going to give to someone else. And they don't sell human life to someone else. They give and they receive human life. They don't do any exchange of money, but there is a value that does change at some point and uh, so they want to assess that value using these injection sites.
1: Yeah, I w- here's at here's Singapore- here's where I I will agree uh, with you Kathleen. I think that anytime that we affirm and we facilitate destructive behaviors, it opens the door to a lot of evil things. Uh, You talked about human trafficking, and I know that in in your nomenclature that word "trafficking" trafficking has a very broad context. I understand that. But I think these kinds of sites open the door for organized crime. I think it opens the door for black markets. I think it opens the door for just the spread of evil. In any, any time that we use unrestricted, mind-altering drugs, it destroys people's minds chemically, and it destroys people emotionally, and I believe it also has and this would be my faith-based point of view, it also creates some spiritual issues as well. It implants some spiritual footholds uh, as as well. And so, Kathleen, I I see nothing good that comes of this. Uh, I think you and I would probably agree. uh, We may disagree on some of the details, but I think we would both agree that these kinds of sites would open uh, the door to many kinds of abuses, and uh, that would not be good for the people involved, not be good for the neighborhoods, not be good for their families, not even be good for the local governments in, in those particular areas. So uh, I think you, can, you and I can probably meet on, uh, on those particular points there. Kathleen, uh, thank you so much for the call. Appreciate that. Any, it, it's just, again, boggles my mind that we think to heal someone— is to facilitate their dysfunction. Have you ever seen a case of someone becoming healed through engaging in more dysfunction? I have not. I don't believe that's possible. It's just not the way healing occurs. There are tough things that need to happen in the healing process. And I, I think Governor Newsom may have hinted around that in his, uh, in his particular um, letter back to the Senate. I, I think he makes some good points, but it's not to me it's not getting to the crux of the issue, and that is people who are addicted to mind-altering drugs are not helped when we help them have more of those mind-altering drugs. A while ago, I, I replayed a, uh, an interview I had with Dennis Whitman, who for a time was the director of Teen Challenge uh, here in our area. And uh, he's, uh, he's now with the Lord, but a uh, great, incredible man, helped an incredible amount of teenagers, and he was a guy that, under the influence of LSD, without knowing it in a stupor, stomped his brother to death, didn't even know he do it. did it. Woke up later, saw all the blood, found his brother, and, uh, and did time for that. But you see, he was, he was committed to turning his life around. He became a uh, follower of Christ. He was very well steeped in his faith. And he was committed to doing what needed to be done to help other teens not follow the path that he did. Now, here is a guy who was able to break the the bonds and the chains. But it's a process, and it's a tough process, and it doesn't happen through giving him more drugs. All right, we'll talk more in five minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIB.
0: The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show again here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Thank you so much for listening. I just look forward to our time with you 3 to 5 p.m. Here uh, Monday through Friday on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. I always enjoy your input and your your thoughts on these issues. <laughs> we were talking about Governor Newsom, uh, thankfully vetoing SB 57, which would have estab- established safe injection sites. I uh, call them drug dens, legal drug dens. And this uh, <laughs> this crossed my desk oh a few days ago. There is a a church in East Oakland that gives out cannabis and psychedelics as a sacrament. Yeah, it's called, and I don't, Z-I-D-E, is it Zide or Zide? I like Zide, let's do Zide. Door Church of Etheogenic Plants, Entheogenic Plants, filed a lawsuit in federal court alleging that The city of Oakland, Oakland Police Department, and an Oakland police officer violated the church's First and 14th Amendments by discriminating against the church's religious beliefs. Now, here's what this comes back to. In 2020, Oakland police raided the church building and confiscated about $200,000 worth of mushrooms and cannabis, and some cash. It says uh, police swarmed the church after receiving reports that it was operating as a cannabis dispensary place without a permit. On its website, the door Church says it follows a non-denominational interfaith religion called the Church of Ambrosia. The Oakland Church first opened its doors in 2019 after Oakland passed a resolution that same year that decriminalized certain natural psychedelics including mushrooms. See what have see this this proves my point with these safe sites. You decriminalize these things and people take it seriously. So I think probably Oakland is suffering the the consequences of its own choices. Anyway, uh, they decriminalized certain natural psychedelics, including mushrooms and instructed law enforcement to stop investigating and prosecuting people using the drugs. All right, so uh, apparently the church founder, Dave Hodges, then opened this church and conducted weekly sermons, but basically stopped during the pandemic. And during the sermons, he dressed in robes adorned with pictures of cannabis plants and talked about the insights he experienced when going into these deep realms after taking mushrooms. So now before COVID, the pastor, I guess, Hodges, would pass out joints to his members before giving his sermon. Now, some of you thinking maybe some of your sermons might might sound better with joints. No, no. Uh, the, church, <laughs> the church does not allow people to take mushrooms on site due to safety issues. And instead, it encourages people to take psychedelics in a place where they don't have to drive for at least eight hours. Uh, so Hodges, uh, the leader here, says, I don't sell drugs. But the members of the church pay a $5 membership fee per month, and they donate money to get the church's sacrament, which is cannabis or mushrooms. And the church actually grows its own cannabis and mushrooms. So Hodges says he has issued almost (laughs) 60,000 membership cards total, and that on average up to 200 people come per day to the church to pick up cannabis and mushrooms. This is not just an excuse to sell drugs, Mr. Hodges says. This is what we truly believe is the origin of all religion and really what religion should be. Pastor Hodges, you got to be on drugs. He says he takes a very high dose of mushrooms, which he says allows him to go through every dimension, heaven, hell, and everything in between to end up in a space of pure light. Nothing exists but one's consciousness, which is the consciousness that I call God. Well, my friend, pastor to pastor, your God and my God aren't the same. Anyway, he goes on to say, we do believe that this is the truest form of religion, having your own direct experience with God. Apparently through drugs. Now a law professor at UC Berkeley named Jesse Chopper says if the church religion requires the use of cannabis or mushrooms, then the plaintiffs may have a case. Are you serious? It's not a sh- if it's not a sham business, I would say the smoker's got a pretty good case, he says. But then the dean of UC Berkeley's Law School. Erwin Chemerinsky disagreed, saying there is no exception to laws for religious beliefs, and in this case, state law prevails. The bottom line is that a First Amendment defense is unlikely to succeed to a state law prosecution. What do you th- think about this church, uh, this, this church on drugs? And this is what, pain, well, you see, the problem is that you can claim to be a church of about anything. What, what is this? He says he's part of the a Church of Ambrosia something. Yeah, the Church of Ambrosia. You can claim to have a church for just about anything. And I, I guess get away with it. However, they did not and uh, they are suing Oakland and the Oakland Police Department for busting them for uh, illegal cannabis and uh, illegal mushrooms, not the kind you buy at the market. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that yet again someone finds a way to use God for their own purposes. And that's to me what it is, don't you think? And I've run across allegedly well-meaning people who do that, who use God to further their own purposes. And I think that's a very, very dangerous proposition. I know that not all of you are people of faith, and that's fine. I'm just giving you my opinion. My opinion is that when we use God to accomplish our own purposes, ultimately there, there will be consequences for that. And you see, in our culture, though, we want there to be no consequences. And these two professors we were talking about from Harvard and Yale, they don't want any consequences either. They want to be the elite that make the laws, that direct the mobs, and they don't want there to be any judiciary They don't want the law interpreted because they want the law to be whatever they say it is. And you see, what they don't say, what's involved behind this type of terrible philosophy is that it is only the elite that rule. The rights don't extend down to you and me. And we're even seeing that in the woke culture, are we not? You know, the law is for thee, but not for me. That's why we see this multi-tiered judicial system in Washington, D.C., where the law is applied to some people that the current people in power like or the people that help them accomplish their goals. The law does not apply to them, but it's thrown at the people that they don't like. So the ends justify the means, and they can use the FBI or the CIA, Department of Justice, the Attorney General. They can use them to persecute people as as long as it suits their ends because the ends justify the means. We can stop this, but it involves taking a stand on November 8, 2022, and again in November, 2024. Here's uh, just a quick, quick thing before I uh, before I leave you for about three minutes. Here, I had the opportunity this week. It was one of those weekends where I was able to get the sermon done fairly quickly, and uh, because I've I've well read on that particular chapter and and uh, have a lot of thoughts about it. It's one of those times when the sermon just flowed and. And I was done with things. And I got all the technical stuff, the uh, things for the big screen and for the streaming and all that done. And I had half a day, which I rarely get. And I did some streaming, did some streaming, caught up on some uh, shows that uh, I like to catch up on. Well, streaming services, this is a, a note that I saw, streaming services hit a fifth consecutive high in their share of all TV use in July, and for the first time, streaming ranked as the most watched platform across the television landscape. Streamers overtook cable for the month, accounting for almost 35% of all TV usage in the United States. Streaming usage has increased every month since March, growing by an average of about a point. Per month. Wow. Platforms streaming about 35% of television watching cable, Uh, a little bit behind that, not by much broadcast about 27%, other uh, about 9%. Do you stream? Do you, do you watch regular television anymore? (laughs) And I mean, broadcast television or, or is most of your watching streaming? a real short inventory of when I have time to watch and I realize that a lot of what I watch in terms of news and such is streaming it's not on broadcast television anymore of a very minute amount so do you stream what do you stream our number 209-551-3483, just lightening things up here at the end of our hour. 209-551-3483. Do you stream more than do broadcast television? What do, you, what, what do you watch? We'll be back in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360
0: KFIV. He's got issues. Let's talk about it. The Mike Douglas Show on air and online, Power talk thirteen sixty KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show again here on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Uh, <laughs> you have a bucket list. You have a bucket list. I uh, I, I approach that differently. I I'm the... I mean, I, I've had dreams throughout my life of doing certain things. I dreamed of being a police officer, and I was able to do that. I dreamed about uh, certain things in in radio and television, and again, God has, through his sense of humor perhaps, allowed me to do that. I, uh, I dreamed um, of becoming uh, a pastor and going into vocational ministry, and again, uh, God has... Uh, been so gracious in allowing me to do that. I never thought of it as as a bucket list. To me, that's a little different. Bucket list is uh, things you want to do before you uh, exit the planet. And uh, now my wife has uh, an item for the bucket list. Mm -hmm. These uh, little birds she would like to see and we have chased these little birds i won't say all over the world but but i mean we've gone to iceland ireland we've gone a lot of places where they say that, th- that they will show up and apparently they have a little network around the world and they say that lorry person is coming, so we're all going to take a vacation. Somehow they know in advance when we're coming. And they vamoose. They, they disappear. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, I'll tell you about the birds and, and all of that. Not the birds and the bees. That's not what we do here on the Mike Douglas Show. I'll tell you about those birds later. This is very interesting. And they're, they're very colorful. But the point I want to get to is this. There's a bucket list that this Australian woman has, and uh, it was granted to her on her 100th birthday. That's right, at her 100th birthday party. What was her wish on her bucket list? She wanted to be handcuffed and arrested. Now, I can guarantee you, having been in law enforcement being hand, arrested and handcuffed is not something that would be on my bucket list, even for fun. According to the Dale, uh, Daily Mail, Jean Bicton, she's lived on the straight and narrow her entire life in Australia, has never had a run-in with the law. She's been a nurse for decades and served as an Army nurse during World War II. Evidently, she always dreamed of getting busted, And uh, so some smiling police officers (laughs) helped her out with her bucket list. Apparently, uh, via photos that I've looked at, they were at her birthday party in uh, Newborough, Australia. The officers uh, are sitting next to her. She's wearing a crown and a pink birthday uh, celebration dress. And uh, they actually did very gently handcuff this 100-year-old lady uh, and, and everyone had fun. In one photo, the 100-year-old uh, Ms. Bicton is seen sitting in front of a patrol car in her wheelchair with three smiling officers next to her as she has her hand on one of their shoulders. In another, Bicton sits happily at a table with two police officers next to her with uh well never mind that one that might be misinterpreted anyway, uh, the police department says they they were more than happy to help her complete her bucket list. Uh, do you have do you have a bucket list two zero nine we can do this quickly two zero nine five five one three four eight three. I'm not going to promise to bring your bucket list to come true. That's not the point of this. I'm just pointing that out. But I'd be interested to know if you have a bucket list and what might be on it. 209-551-3483. So Ms. Bicton at 100 years old told the Daily Mail in Australia, I've never been arrested in my life. I said to them, I've never been drunk, I've never been arrested, and I've never lost my driving license and never had an infringement. So there you go. At, uh, at 100, and 100 years old, uh, Jean Bicton got her wish to be arrested. All right, well, bless her heart. I'm, I'm glad that uh, the police officers made her day. But that is not, if I had a bucket list, I can tell you that is not something that would be on it. You've been watching, speaking of streaming and television, been watching what's happening at uh, CNN. Yeah, very interesting uh, folks departing there. And uh, apparently CEO Chairman uh, Chris Licht has been telling people that he would reassess talent over at CNN, and he's doing it. His goal is to reportedly tamp down the extreme leftist partisanship that has consumed CNN in recent years. I want to acknowledge that this is a time of significant change, he says, and I know that many of you are unsettled. Of course, the latest person to uh, depart, to be informed he's departing, is Brian Stelter of uh, Reliable Sources. And I, I know there are a lot of talk show people that, assign funny names to him. And I, I don't I don't do that. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of his program nor of his perspectives. I'm not real sorry to see him go. Uh, I wish him well because broadcasting is a tough business. It's very competitive. I wish him well as a person. CNN, if you're attempting to do some righteous reporting and this is what you have to do, go for it. All right, I'll look. Uh, we're going to go for it again tomorrow, 3 o'clock, here on The Mike Douglas Show. Look forward to seeing you then on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a great night.